of this narrative, this very well-known narrative of Yaakov stealing the blessings. So really to appreciate it, as always, we're going to jump into the text. I'm going to share the screen. Here we go. And you'll be able to follow along with me. All right. You should be able to see that. And here we go. Okay, so let's, again, you are all on mute, uh, but feel free to take yourself off of mute if you have any questions um, or comments or observations, thoughts, anything. Just take yourself off of mute and feel free to, to participate. So here we go. Vayhi, so we're starting with Genesis or Bereshis chapter, Chaf Zayin 27. Okay, Vayhi ki zaken Yitzchak. Yitzchak, and it was when Yitzchak was old. Vatichena enav meros. And his eyes were dimmed. His, he was unable to see so well. His eyes became dim. Okay. Vayikra es Esav ben Hagadol, and he calls Esav his oldest son. Vayomer Elav, and he says to him, Beni my son. Vayomer Elav hineni. And Esav responds with the very famous words, that, the famous word uh, that was made famous through Avraham. Hineni, here I am, as we spoke about a few weeks ago. Hineni is a very beautiful way of saying, I'm not just yes, dad, or what, what. You know, Hineni is basically saying, I am here, I'm completely at your service. Okay, and this is one of the few indications we have in the text that although our tradition is that Esav was quite uh, a character, and by that I mean not a good character, nonetheless, when it came to keeping of his respect for his father, we see a an, the utmost respect. Again, you know, the, the father calls him over, he nanny, dad, whatever it is you need, I'm here at your service. Okay? But one thing I want to draw your attention to, and that is the introduction to Yitzchak's age and vision. Now, Yitzchak's age in this verse, in this Pasuk, makes a lot of sense. You know, the Midrashim say, I believe Rashi quotes this, that um, Yitzchak recognized he's getting old, and he wants to pass on these blessings before he dies. Okay, so the first part of the verse follows to the second part of the verse. Yitzchak is getting old. He recognizes that he's not going to be around forever, and he wants to give a blessing to his son Esav, and therefore he calls Esav over. Cool, I get it, okay? The next words are, to me, a little bit puzzling in terms of their placement. The notion that he, his eyes become blind, now, of course, that's a major part of the plot, Right? Why, do, why, why does he have to be blind? Because the only way the rest of the story is going to make sense, how Yaakov is going to be able to deceive him, is predicated on the fact that Yitzchak is blind. But that piece of information is not needed here. We eventually need it, and, and we will eventually need it, so it's fair to mention it, but it is a little bit premature because we only need to know about his blindness when Rivka enters the stage and she starts going ahead and working out this deception. We have to know, hey, it's only going to work because Yitzchak is blind. Instead, it's being introduced over here. Not a, not a question, just an observation. Okay, we'll come back to that observation in a little while. Okay, so let's keep on reading. Vayomer Pasuk Beis, or verse 2. Vayomer and Yitzchak says, Hine nazakanti, I have become old. Lo yadati yomosi, I don't know when I'll die. And again, as the Midrashim spell out the obvious, and therefore I want to make sure that, uh, you know, and, and Yitzchak himself is going to say this. Excuse me, Yitzchak himself is going to say this. Sana chelecha, take your tools, the, um, your sword and your bow, and go into the fields, and go hunt some game for me. Right? We know Esav was a hunter. Uh, it seems like he had these designated tools, and he's encouraging Yitzchak to go get food. Why? Go make me delicacies, the ones that I love. Bring it to me, and I'll eat it. Here, again, it's an explicit verse. Excuse me for, for misspeaking before, right? Why? Why should you bring these things? So that I will bless you before I die. Okay, the need for food before the blessing is a conversation onto into its own right. But we have this general idea that uh, it's important to be in a good state of mind. Sometimes prophets would need music played for them uh, so that they could be in a good state of mind to experience prophecy. And as we'll discuss in a moment, what we're about to witness over here, Yitzchak's blessings, which I want to analyze in a moment, uh, Yitzchak seems like he wants to be in the right frame of mind. So Yitzchak, uh, Esav, excuse me, go get me delicious food. I'm going to die soon so that I can have some delicious food, and then I'm going to go ahead and bless you. Okay, again, we know all this. Let's keep on reading. Rivka is listening when Yitzchak speaks to Esav. Esav went out to the fields to go hunt. 
V'rivka amral Yaakov b'na Lamar. Now Rivka, as we know, turns to her son Yaakov and says, Hine shamati azavicha medar el Esav achicha Lamar. I heard your father speaking to Esav, your brother. Verse 7, Pasuk Zayin. Havia litzayid vaseli matamim v'ochela. Okay, we're not going to get into the analysis just yet, so I'm going a little bit faster. Bring me game and make delicious food and I will eat. Vavarechecha lifnei Hashem lifnei Mosi. Okay, and I will... Um, Okay, and I will uh, bless you uh, before God, before I die. Okay, so someone just asked an interesting question in the chat about uh, how is it that Yitzchak trusted Esav to bring him food that was kosher. Again, this this touches upon a, a very interesting debate among the Midrashic literature as to whether or not our forefathers kept the Torah before the Torah was given. Now, it, it, it's, it would seem pretty hard to imagine that they kept the Torah before the Torah was given, and therefore some just assume, hey, there's no Torah. Of course they didn't keep it. They were moral people. They were ethical people. They were spiritual people, but they didn't eat matzah. They didn't, uh, you know, keep Shabbos. Of course not. They didn't have the Torah. There are midrashim, though, that say that they did go ahead and keep the Torah, and according to those midrashim, it, this would go back to Yitzchak's bond to Esav. It seems like he really did trust Esav, and you know, and maybe we'll come back to this in a little while. He, he was fully trusting of Esav, right? He wants to give him the blessings. If he's going to give him these grand blessings, then he presumably assumes that Esav is a trustworthy person. So I guess the answer would be yes. He assumed that whatever he's going to bring him would be appropriate for him to give to eat. Okay, um, okay, right. So so Rivka goes ahead and summarizes what she heard, and now here comes the plot thickening. Okay, um, right now she says, "Listen, my son, listen to my voice. What I am going to command you: Lechna elatzon, go to the sheep, v'kach li misham." Um, excuse me, v'kach li misham shnei izim tovim. Go take two great, excellent kids, okay, goats. Ve'ese osam atam la'avicha, two kids. Ve'ese osam atamim la'avicha ka'asher ahev, and make delicacies for your father like he loves. Ve'vesa la'avicha ve'achal, okay, and he will bring it to your father and he will eat. Ba'avura sh'yovarechecha lifnei mosos, that he'll bless you before he dies. Okay. So let's pause here for a second and understand what is going on over here, right? What, what is the, this blessing, right? Obviously, there's so much drama around this blessing. Yitzchak wants to give the blessing to Esav. Rivka steps in and says, nah, I want to make sure the blessing goes to Yaakov. And therefore, she goes ahead and concocts this crazy plot, which we're going to analyze in a moment. But in the meantime, what, what is a blessing? It's such a, like... I, you know, maybe I'm coming from my own personal background. You know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't go to like rebbes and things like that. It's not. It's not my thing. Um, so maybe I'm. I'm. I'm being a little bit more flippant about it. But okay, it's a blessing. It's a big deal. But how far? Right, Rifka over here is about to in, engage in something very shocking. Um, very shocking and very challenging. What, what exactly is the blessing that is at stake over here? Okay, so the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra suggests that what we're describing over here is not uh, is nothing more than a prayer. It's a prayer. Yitzchak wants to pray for the success of the recipient of this blessing. Okay, now you have to ask yourself if it's just a prayer, then why the big fuss? Right? Why the, if it's just a prayer, then why is, why is Rivka making such a big deal? And also is a prayer effective if it's stolen? In other words, Yitzchak thinks he's giving a, making a prayer on behalf of Esav. Happens to be Yaakov standing in front of him. Does it matter who's when I pray for people? Do they have to be standing in front of me? Of course not. Right? It's very hard to understand. If it's just a prayer, what's the big deal? Okay? So the, the Ibn Ezra... So th there is another way of looking at this. And that is like another question we have to ask first. And that is that we know that Rivka received a prophecy that Yaakov would be the greater son, the more important son, the son that would carry on the legacy of the forefathers, right? Um, so it, it seems very strange um, that, you know, I, excuse me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, for the sake of brevity and the sake of keeping our focus, I'm going to skip what the Ran says. I'm going to focus on one final approach because I think this middle approach is going to give us, take us off track. I already see some, some, okay, I'm going to, we're just going to focus on the final approach, I think, which is the simplest approach. And that is um, that there is something almost tangible about the blessings. Okay. In other words, we know that God gives blessings to Avram. That's how he introduces himself to Avram. Avram, go on this journey. I'm going to bless you. Okay, we normally think a blessing is something abstract, but it seems to be something almost tangible. And then Yitz Avram has two sons, Yitzchak and Yishmael. And only one son is given those blessings. 
What that means is that there is something, again, it's mystical, but there is something almost tangible that Avram is passing on, choosing one son. God tells him which son. He gives it to Yitzchak and he does not give it to Yishmael. Similarly, this gets passed on or Yitzchak now is the owner of these abstract mystical blessings. Again, it's, it's, it's an intangible, but it's something. It's something that could be passed on. And therefore, this is real. What we're witnessing over here is that these blessings actually are, are significant in the sense that they need to be passed on to the right recipient. And if the wrong recipient gets them, they become his. And therefore, in theory, Esav, despite his uh, lowly character, if he were to receive these blessings, then that would in some way upend history. It would upend Yaakov's descendants and us, those of us here, being the ones standing at Sinai, etc., etc., etc. All of that would be upended because these blessings are somewhat tangible. Okay? I know that's a little bit esoteric, but if you don't look at it that way, it's very hard to understand why the drama. Again, if it's just a prayer, then who cares? If it's just a prayer, why fight so much for the prayer? It's, it's not so, um, the ramifications are not that great. And therefore, I think this is the simplest way of looking at it, and that is that uh, there is something being handed over. Okay, so I'm going to just look at the chat for a second. Um, okay, we're going to go back to the forefathers keeping the Torah. So, um, so okay, uh, Lisa was asking if the Avos kept the Torah, then how could Yaakov marry two sisters? The Ramban, Nachmanides, uh, addresses this. He suggests that they only kept the Torah in Israel. And if you'll notice, Rachel, Rachel, dies as soon as they enter the land of Israel. So while outside of Israel, he was married to two sisters. Once they enter Israel, they were he was not. Okay, shortly thereafter, again, Rachel dies. Okay, um, didn't Asa already give up his right to the blessing? Um, right, so... <laughs> Bruce is asking, the beginning of the Parsha seems to already tell us that Esav already sold his birthright to, uh, to Yaakov. And again, that story in and of itself needs a lot of explaining. Um, but it would seem like, and again, one way of addressing this in a simple way is to say that Rivka was unaware of this. Um, and Yaakov perhaps didn't tell him that. But again, even that passage speaks to this approach um, that there's something tangible. If Yaakov is buying the birthright, what does it mean to buy a birthright? You're either the firstborn or you're not. I'm not the firstborn. I can't buy it for my older brother. It just doesn't work, right? Um, unless we're talking about something almost tangible. Um, but yes, how the two stories relate, hard to understand, but I think they both speak to the same point, that there is something almost tangible over here. Okay? Question. Yes. Question. But in the beginning, the beginning of the parasha, um, he steals. I mean, Yaakov buys the bechora. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the story, Yitzhak is not interested. He doesn't say, "Come to me, my bechor." Doesn't refer to him as the bechor. Good point. Good point. So the entitlement of the bechor, that question, this wasn't the bechor bracha. This was a bracha that he was giving to the greater son. Excellent. Not so. Excellent, excellent. Right, so it could be, right, so addressing Bruce's question, it could be that these are two things. They clearly have some relation, um, but they could be two separate things. Um, you know, Rav Hirsch actually interprets that whole passage in the beginning of the Parsha where Esav sells his right to the firstborn. He says the whole thing is a joke. He says it's meaningless. What does it mean? Again, you can't sell. I'm either the oldest or I'm not the oldest. You know, as much as I wanted to be the oldest, <laughs> there's nothing I could do about it to change that, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, I got over it, people. Um, but, but, but the point is that, so, so you know, what's happening over there, suggests Refersh, is the story is meant to demonstrate how flippant Esav is. The story is more about Esav than it is about the birthright. But yes, Shmuel, your point is well taken. That birthright um, is not mentioned whatsoever. There's no mention of firstborn over here, and therefore it seems like the two could be independent. Okay, all that's introduction, just to remind us of the story that I think we all know well. Let's let's now get into the the the, the thick of things. Okay, so let's 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 really jump into it. Vayomer Yaakov el Rivka Imo. So Yaakov pushes back. He turns to his mother and says, Hein Esav achi ish sa'ir, my brother's hairy, okay? Vanochi ish chalak, and I'm a smooth man, right? I'm sure you've all seen the different pictures that are painted. Everyone has a different picture of, of the facial hair of, of, of uh, you know, of, of Yaakov and of Esav. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg is Yaakov and, uh, what's his name? Uh, the head of Twitter, uh, Dorsey. Jack Dorsey is, uh, is, is Esav, you know, really hairy and all that kind of stuff. Okay, the point is that one's really hairy and one is really, really smooth. Okay, apparently no one, again, saw the Senate hearing and no one knows what I'm talking about. It's okay. Um, you could look it up online later. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you, Bruce. Okay. I'm getting me. <laughs> I'm sorry. The nose ring too. The nose ring too. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. 
Okay, so what does Yaakov say? A very logical response. Ulayi musheni avi. My father, our father's going to feel me. And I'll appear to him as a deceiver, right? Which he is doing. It's almost like I'll appear as a deceiver, right? It's almost an ironic statement. I am a deceiver. No, I'm going to appear to him as a deceiver. And instead of blessing me, he's going to curse me. So what does Rivka respond? Whatever curses he says to you, they're to me. Just listen to my voice. And go get it. Okay. So here, let's pause and ask a bigger question. You know, we know some of the Midrashim. We know that Esav is depicted by our, by our tradition as a, a rather evil individual. And Rivka, our tradition teaches us, was well attuned to this. She recognized that Yaakov is really Yaakov, Yaakov uh, the Av, the Av, the forefather, the great Yaakov. She saw who he was, and Yitzchak assumed that Esav was not such a great person. Now, Yitzchak, it would seem, according to this approach, is about to make a major mistake. Let's say your spouse is about to make a major mistake with great ramifications. What do you as the spouse do? You talk to him. Yeah, thank you. That didn't take you all that long. No, I'm just kidding. I know you have to unmute yourself, right? Hello, right? Just have a conversation. It's so bizarre. It's so, right? And keep in mind, it's not like this is a biblical, I'm not being, you know, I'm not, I'm not imposing 21st century values, right? When Sarah disagrees with Avram, she lets him know, right? It's not, this is not me speaking. This is a, this legitimate question. Why doesn't Rivka just say, and not only that, she actually knows that not just from her intuition, she knows from the prophecy. The older one will, the younger, right? That, that this notion that the younger one is the chosen one or whatever exactly the prophecy meant, but clearly there, there's an indication from God that the younger one is more significant. So, Right? This is puzzling. Why doesn't she just speak to her husband? Okay? Yes, Lisa. Looks like you're... You're still on mute. You're Sorry. On, there you go. Full clicking. Um, yeah, it seems like one thing that she does have in common with Sarah is um, um, Rivka is trying to... No matter what the prophecy said, she's trying to take it into her own hands to make it come true, which is what Sarah did with giving Hagar to Abraham, and we know how that's turned out. So, you know, you could look at this as it wasn't a good thing, and however, you know, even if, if Asaph wasn't supposed to be the one to carry on as our leader, so to speak, Hashem would have made that happen. And Interesting. And human beings to decide they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, Finagle it. <laughs> right. Interesting. So the, 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 the narrative that comes to mind for me in, in that respect is, is Yosef, right? Yosef has these dreams and he spends his life, at least according to many, dedicated to exactly. fulfilling them, right? Um, right. So, right. Does Rivka have a, 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 um, a command to make this happen? No. She is just told that this is what's going to happen. So it is odd. It's strange that she decides on her own to step in and, and try to allow, you know, and, and try to force God's hand, so to speak. That's interesting. That's interesting. So I'll share with you two classic approaches and then we'll, we'll continue and we'll continue reading and maybe we'll see something and we will see something else. But the Ramban says like this, the Ramban says that as the Torah tells us, Yitzchak really loved Esav. Okay. And therefore Rivka reasoned like this, had she confronted him two, there are two possibilities. Okay. Either she would, either Yitzchak would accept what she is saying and choose not to bless either or because she he hears what his wife is saying, but at the same time, he loves Esav, so he wouldn't want to hurt Esav, or he would bless um, Yaakov half-heartedly. In the best-case scenario, says the Ramban, he would accept her statement, he would accept what she's saying, but she would only bless Yaakov half-heartedly, and both were unacceptable to Rivka. And therefore, Rivka said, I want to make sure that the blessing is a wholehearted blessing, and therefore I'm going to go through this whole charade to make sure that the blessing comes from the depths of his heart. Now again, if it's just, we can't, we can't just be just a plain blessing because again, it's a blessing to the wrong person. But if this is some form of a spiritual gift, whatever exactly this thing that's being given over, Rivka wants to make sure it's done wholeheartedly. And she realized that even if he would accept, you know, sometimes we give in, but we give in a little bit begrudgingly and it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be genuine. And the only way it was going to be given over genuinely is if he has no idea who he's giving it to. Interesting. Okay. That's, 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 that's an approach. Let's go. The, if you remember last week, we spoke about the encounter 
between Yitzchak and Rivka. We spoke about the fact that, at least according to the Nitziv, there was a little bit of an imbalance. That, if you recall, Rivka falls off the camel, right? There's the sense of being overawed by Yitzchak. And the Nitziv suggests that the reason we read that section last week and all those details of her falling off the donkey and covering her face is really to foreshadow this narrative. It's to tell us that, yes, again, as we saw last week, they loved each other. It's true. But at the end of the day, she was so overawed, so overwhelmed, that she couldn't bring herself to disagree. If Yitzchak said something, she never spoke up because she was afraid to speak up. She had so much respect for him. She knew he was wrong, but she didn't know how to communicate. And therefore, the entire story from beginning to end, Yitzchak and Rivka's relationship, yes, there's love, but it's also a tragic story where she can't share what she needs to share with her spouse. That's how the Nitziv understands this. Any thoughts on that? What, what, how, do you, what, what, how do you take that? Making sense-ish? I'll tell, I, I'll tell I'm a little bothered by it. Again, it's hard for me to put my feet into those shoes. But if she's so troubled by how Yitzchak is going to respond to her, then the last thing you want to do is not only not tell him something, but completely deceive him, right? If I'm overawed by someone, okay, it's true. I may not want to argue, but I certainly won't mess around with them. I mean, this is the biggest deception of all times. And of course she knew, and, and now I think we're getting to, 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 to the center of the story, did Rivka think that Yitzchak would never catch on? Like, it was only a matter of time until Rivka, until Yitzchak would catch on. So this plan is not a long-lasting plan that you'd be able to maintain this, you know, the, this, this charade. It was going to, it's only going to last for that long, right? So let's now go back to the text. And I want to share with you a third approach to understand the story. And the only way to really appreciate it is now to read these next psukim. It's an approach of Rav Samson Rafael Hirsch. I think I've shared it with some of you in the past. It's, it's, it's a fascinating approach, but to me, and it's, it's, it'll, it takes some thinking, it takes some, some accepting, um, but at the same time, it fits with the text and it answers so many important questions, which we'll see right now. So let's now go back. We're going to go back to verse 14, or Pasuk Yudalad. Vayelech vayikach vayave li'imo. Right? So Yaakov goes ahead, he gets what he needs to get, he brings it to his mother, and she makes the delicacies that she knows um, that his father loves, that Yitzchak loves. Then Rivka takes the clothing that she had of her son. Okay, the commentators point out it's kind of funny that Rivka is holding on to clothing that belonged to her son. Her son is an old man at this point. He's, I mean, not old, excuse me. Uh, he's, he's, but he's not a kid. He's, he's older than, four, he's at least 40 years old. We, we already told that he's, he got married at 40. So the story takes place afterwards. He's not a little kid. And nonetheless, his clothing, for some reason, is by his mother. Okay, something to think about. We're not going to get into that now. But one way or another, she has his clothes on hand. Hachamudos, the treasured ones. Asheri Tababais, which were with her in the house. The Talbish is Yaakov Katan. And she dresses Yaakov, her younger son, in Esav's clothing. The ace, verse 16. Oros Gedaya Izim, the hides of the kids. Hilbisha Ayadav, Valchalkas Tzavarav. She places on his hands and on his neck. Now, let me ask you all a question. Okay, we've all seen the picture, I don't know, growing up in the picture books or whatever of this, of, of Yaakov dressed up as Esav. Okay. To me, and not to me, let's think about this as adults. It's a Purim costume. It's, Wouldn't a blind person, though, feel somebody's face? Possibly, possibly. Before he even gets to the face, let's pretend, let's pretend he doesn't get to the face. But, uh, fair. I don't know what the comment, I don't know what, yes, I, I right, that, that's what we see blind people do nowadays. Again, he's not entirely blind. Maybe, you know, he doesn't have all the, all the regular techniques of a blind person. So, so I'm not sure. But let's, let's pause for a second with the costume itself, right? She assumes he's going to hold Yaakov's, Esav's hands, okay? This is a perm costume. It, it, it's dress-up. It's a Halloween costume, right? This is not going to... Wait, I don't know what the hair on Esav looked like. I have no idea. But but a kid? It, 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 it's bizarre. It, it's really bizarre. It's really, really bizarre. It's very hard to understand that this is a... Leg- Again, unless Esav looked like this, I, I don't know, like a, a beast. Uh, but it's, it's very strange that this costume is going to work. Uh, your question, Bruce, notwithstanding. Yes, Shmuel. Wasn't the Torah already established the fact that Esav was super hairy earlier on? That's A. And B, were Chazal tell us that the Emos were bigger Nevi'im or Nevios than the, than the Avos. 
So she might have already known the plan of Yitzhak, what he was going to check. So she was like, just cover your arms and your neck, and that's all he's going to check. And we see that future, that that's all he does. It, and then he's like, oh, it must be Esav. Right. So, so she knows that. And whether she knows that through prophecy um, or whether she knows that because she just knows her husband, um, that's fine. And we do know he's hairy. But again, this is kid hair. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I, again, I, I don't know enough about animal hair and I've, we have no idea what Aesop's hair is, but there's something to me almost like farcical about this image of, of the dress up. But I, 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 right. So, so she does know, but again, she has to, she has to plan accordingly, but just the, the hands, the, the neck, it just seems like a strange get up. Okay. Meaning to me, the better plan would be, Abba, my foot's hurting. I can't come forward to you right now. Like that would be a lot safer personally um, than putting on this weird costume. But let's keep on reading. Let's keep on reading. Okay. Was, uh, I'm just getting started. Verse 17. And she gave the tasty food and the bread that she made in the hands of Yaakov, her son. Okay, el Aviv, and he comes to his father, Vayomer Avi, and he says, "My father, Vayomer Hineni, um, here I am, Mia who are you, my son?" Which is an interesting response, right? Um, right? It sounds like he he knows that it's his son, or else he wouldn't say Bini, my son, at the end of the sentence. It seems like he's just not sure which son it is. That's what it sounds like, right? Or else he'd say, hi, Yaakov, or hi, Asa. But already, he's uncertain as to who is actually here. Okay. But he knows it's one of his sons, it seems. Because, again, he addressed him as a son. Um, and keep in mind, in as much as we think of Asa as this, you know, uh, roaring voice, and Yaakov perhaps in the soft, and, and we spe- see some difference, uh, we see some notion of their, their voice being different, which we'll come back to. But at the end of the day, for all intents and purposes, they could have identical voices. We don't know that they don't. Was we'll see. There's a verse which we'll have to interpret in a moment, but it seems like they have similar sounding voices, and therefore Yitzchak says, "Which one of my sons is this?" That's what it sounds like he's asking. Vayomer Yaakov al Aviv. Yaakov turns to his father. He says, "Ani Esav Anochi Esav becharecha. I am Esav, your firstborn. Asisi kasher dibarte lai. I did like you spoke to me. Kumna shva. Get up and sit. Ve'achla mitzedi and eat from my my hunting. Ve'avort tevarchani nafshechas that your soul blesses me. Okay. Pasuk chaf." Vayomer Yitzchak Albino. Yitzchak turns to his son and says, Maza miharta limtsobani. My oh my, you've gone so quickly. Okay? This, um, right? So he says, this is, you, it's so strange. You just left a little while ago and normally it takes you a few hours to set up your traps and hide in the trees or whatever. And it went so quickly. It's so strange. Vayomer and Yitz, uh, Yaakov, excuse me, replies, Ki hikra Hashem alokecha lefanai, Hashem, your God, caused this to happen. God was looking out for me because in your merits, it's Hashem, your God. Um, and it, it's, 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 a word, it's a way of respect. Whenever we speak to someone of, of great stature, we say it's your God. It doesn't mean it's not my God, but it's a, it's a term of respect. We see that throughout Tanakh. And basically God helped out. Okay. Vayomer Yitzchak al Yaakov. And Yitzchak says to Yaakov, Gesha nava mushcha bani, come close, let me feel you. Now, why is he feeling him? He says why. Are you really Esav or not? Right? In other words, it sounds like Yitzchak is suspicious. Okay, let's keep on reading. And Yaakov comes forward to, to Yitzchak, his father. And he feels him. And he says, The voice, or maybe not the voice, and some commentators explain, not the voice, but the speech, the way of speaking, whether it's invoking God, whether it's the pleasantness, but some character of speech or tone sounds like Yaakov. But the hands do indeed feel like Esav. Now let's pause here for a second. You know this, this narrative? So as a kid, again, this is why it's so important to revisit this story. As a child, the drama is so exciting, right? Each time he comes closer, and each time he's asking questions like, oh, will he figure it out? Will he find out that it's actually Asaph or not, right? But now let's approach this as adults, right? This sounds like we're reading a children's book, right? It sounds almost like uh, what is it? a little red riding hood. Like, you know, it doesn't seem like you, Grandma Maya, you know, everything seems off. Like, what's going on over here? Your teeth are so big, right? It, 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 something's, but it, it, how do we take this section seriously, right? How many questions does Yitzchak have over here, right? He comes in, who are you, my son? I, I'm not sure what's going on over here, right? The opening question is a little bit ambiguous. It's not accusatory, right? But then in Pasachaf in verse 20, he's saying, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't keep on scrolling down. Excuse me. I apologize. Um, you can read ahead. I apologize. Okay. Um, 
I have my own text in front of me. I'm sorry. Um, right? So then, again, if you go back to... Um, if you go to verse 20, he's, he's questioning him. He's saying, hey, you went so quickly. Something strange over here, right? And he says, ah, he gives an answer. And then again, he says, come closer. I still don't believe you. I want to feel you, okay? And he feels him. And then he comes forward. And again, somehow he falls for this. The, the, the costume works. But he's still suspicious. Hakol kol Yaakov, right? And, and his hands are still Esav. He's still not sure, right? But this is like... This is a joke. This doesn't seem like a genuine story, how someone could be so uncertain and still keep on going, right? Yitzhak is asking a lot of good questions, and Yaakov doesn't seem to be the best cheat, the best deceiver, right? And therefore, he keeps on getting questioned by his father, and his father concludes with uncertainty. It's not like his father says, oh, okay, it's Esav, right? What does he say? Vayomer hakol kol Yaakov, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, vayadayim ide Esav, right? Let's keep on reading. Not even done. Okay. Before, before you do, Rabbi, may I ask a question? Please. Because so, this has always really disturbed me, and it disturbs me even more as we go through it. Um, number one, he's invoking God's name, which would seem rather atypical of Esav. Right. Yitzchak is wondering about the voice, and it seems, if you take it literally, at least at face value, that there is a difference in their voice, their inflection, whatever it is. Why does he ultimately trust, or maybe he isn't trusting at all, and something else is taking place? Why does he ultimately trust that rather than 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 the issue of feel? I mean, he knows he's blind. He knows he doesn't see well, so he's got to use his other senses. Why would he possibly choose the sense of having felt this 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 hair right. as opposed to the sense of well, he doesn't sound at all like. Esav. I mean, he's talking about God. He's got the voice of Yaakov. This has happened too quickly. I mean, it. this is what's always disturbed me. It still does. Right. And good. It should disturb you. Um, that means you're reading it seriously. But but to your, to your first point, you know, this is what pushes Rashi and others to suggest that voice doesn't mean voice literally. It means the way of speech. And therefore, the fact that he invoked God was the kol kol Yaakov, the voice of Yaakov. The fact he says kol Hashem elokecha, those words are a little bit too spiritual, meaning Yitzchak was aware enough of who Esav was, and those weren't the words that Esav would typically say. Nonetheless, your second, so that, that I think addresses the, the voice part, but your other question, yeah, this seems like terrible judgment, and exactly to your point, if you're blind, this is, your, your sense of touch is, is not going to be your strongest Maybe, I don't know, I shouldn't say that, I don't know for, for a fact, but, but if, certainly if there's, some, there's this notion of he's hearing something very different, um, then why is he going with that is, is a very good question. It seems like there's some poor judgment on Yitzchak's part. Okay, yeah, I, I'm with you. And I, I, well, just a little bit of that. But first we have to see, it gets even worse. Okay, Velohi hikiro. Verse 23, he didn't recognize him. Why? Again, his hands were hairy, like the hands of his brother. Okay, which again, simple read of the text seems to say... It was a decent costume, okay? And therefore, he blesses him, okay? But then, wait, before he blesses him, we're about to read the blessing. And he says one more time, Wait, wait, are you really Esav? Right? It's like, it doesn't end. He's still unsure. He's about to bless him. It says, And he says, mm, wait, before I begin, are, are you really Esav? And he says, yes, I am. Okay, fine. <laughs> but but right, how many times does he question this? Right in the beginning, verse eighteen, he says, "Who are you, my son?" He's not sure. And then he says, "You know, um, why do you go so quickly?" And then he says, "Come, I want to feel you." And then he says, "Your voice, something's off in your voice." And then he asks him a fifth time, five times in this text. And again, as a child, the drama is exciting. As an adult, we have to ask ourselves, "What's the Torah getting at over here? What's the Torah trying to convey with this confusion and these questions?" And what's it trying to convey? And how do we understand Yitzchak, who goes ahead and nonetheless blesses y- y- Yaakov with all these doubts? Okay, but let's keep on reading. Vayomer hagishali veochla mitzed beni. Come close, eat um, from. I-, I will come close and I will eat from the food of my son. Okay. Leman tevarechecha nafshi, so my soul will bless you. Vayagesh lo vayochal. He brought it, brings it forward and he eats. Vayave lo yain vayesht, and he brings him wine and he drinks. Okay? And Yitzchak, his father, said, Come close and kiss me. 
Okay? He comes close and he kisses him. And he, he smelled the smell of his clothing and he blessed him. And he says, The smell of my son is like a field which was blessed by God. Okay, we're not going to get into that, what that means, but there's a lot of interesting literature. It sounds like a very mystical idea that he smelled the smell of a field of God. Um, the, the tradition is that those clothes, that clothing is actually clothing that goes back to Adam Harishon, uh, but that's, that's a conversation for a different time. Let's now just read the blessing that he gives him. I'm not going to focus so much on the blessing, but here we are. Um, and may the Lord, that, here's the text of the blessing. May, I'm going to read it in English. May the Lord give you the dew of the heavens and the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and wine. Nations shall serve you and kingdoms shall bow down to you. You shall be a master of your brothers and your mother's sons shall bow down to you. Those who curse you shall be cursed, and those who bless you shall be blessed. By the way, those words, obviously, were those words invoking? Those words are invoking the original blessing that God gave to Avram, which does seem like he is taking that blessing and now passing it on to the next generation. Okay? And now, let's read Pasuk Lamed. And it was when Yitzchak finished blessing Yaakov. And it's just as he was leaving. Again, I have a vivid picture of my, I always invoke my Parsha coloring pages, which I, I don't know, I'm one of my few childhood memories of those coloring pages. And y- Yaakov is literally behind the door. They didn't have doors like that back then. Anyway, but he's behind like the little door and Esav is walking in, you know, but, but that's what the Pasuk says. It seems like they just miss each other. Okay, the Esav Achiv Ba Mitzedon, Esav now is coming. And of course, he also made delicacies. And he brings it to his father. And he says to his father, Father, get up. You should get up. That you will bless me. And his father said, Who are you? And he says, I am your son, your firstborn Esav. Now let's read this next Pasuk. This Pasuk is shocking. Yitzchak became or shuddered a great shudder. Vayomer mi efo. Who then is the one who at sad sayid vayave li vayochal mikol b'terem tavo vavarcheu? Who is the one then that came and who fed me before you came vavarcheu and I blessed him? These three words. Gam baruch yiyeh. And then he says, right? That person should also be blessed. What? Right? Yitzhak now realizes that he was immediately, as soon as Esav starts speaking, he doesn't need to check him. He doesn't need to feel him. Oh, no, that is Esav. He gets it right away. Oh, this is Esav, right? And he says, wait, what's going on? Someone else fed me? Pauses for a moment and says, he should also be blessed. He just walked into his house. Somebody, and he fairly... Clearly knows who it is, right? Someone just walked into his house and stole his most precious belonging. The blessings that were a treasure given from Avram to Yitzchak and now to the next generation. And Yitzchak was going to give those blessings to his beloved son Esav. And now someone, we know who, Yitzchak knows who, Yaakov come and came and stole it, right? And what happens? He says, he stole it. He robbed me in front of me. He embarrassed me. He ashamed, right? This is shameful, right? He deceived me in my face. He stole the most important thing. He should also be blessed. What is going on? Does this bother you all? It should bother you. <laughs> Any thoughts? Thoughts. We've read this story a billion times, people, right? This is so strange. This is so strange. He should be blessed, right? Okay, you want to say Yitzchak could be true, but how does he bless him at the end? It's such a strange strange thing how he's not if I were Yitzchak I'd start through I mean I would throw things but I'd be this is the moment where I get quite upset in the story right instead he blesses him he says he should also be blessed isn't this the whole thing where you you're asking as far as Pashup Shad or or Chazal because take it away either Pashup doesn't make sense correct but Chazal tell us that he realizes now that he was been wrong all the time ah okay Yaakov deserved, deserved everything Okay. Okay. So let, let, let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. The Midrashim do say something, but it needs a lot of explaining. And to better understand it, um, I'm going to share an idea that Rav Hirsch, and this is really what I'm about to share is really based on Rav Hirsch, And he's, again, as Shmuel's pointing out, he's really developing an idea that, that is seen in Chazal. You know, one thing that, that, is, that is interesting about this is that, you know, while we read the story and we say, Yaakov the cheat, Yaakov the liar, people ask me all the time, how could he have done such a thing, etc., etc., the Torah nowhere takes Rivka or Yaakov to task 
for what happened, at least explicitly. We'll come back to some Midrashim later, but it, at least explicitly, we never see, again, Yaakov has to run away, but there is, right? right? So that's obviously an implication of this. There's a, a consequence of this, rather. Um, Lisa, you look like you're, go ahead. Well, yes, it isn't explicit, but but Yaakov has to go through all that stuff with love and he gets the, he's, he's given the, uh, the wrong sister, you know, like it, it's, it's kind of payback. Right, right. And, and also, you know, we don't see Hashem or, or in any written, anywhere written in the Torah that you know, the brothers get, get criticized for what they did to Yosef. So that's not a, a proof that something isn't okay. wrong because it's not explicit. Okay. Yaakov like, spent his life being deceived by others. This is true. Okay. So, so, so the argument over here is two, two very strong arguments. Okay. The fact that the Torah isn't, doesn't make it clear um, in Yaakov's own life that, that we, we see a, there's a lot of commonality between what happens to him and what he does to others. That's very fair. Um, and does the Torah always make explicit when someone does something wrong? The jury's out. I'm not sure. I could, we could, we could debate that point, but that's, that, that's, that's a fair point. So let's, let's drop that question. Let's drop that question. Let's again go back to that original question. What is going on over here? And why does he ultimately bless Yitzhak? So I want to share with you something Rav Hirsch says. And he really, we saw the Nitziv who says that they didn't talk to one another. Rav Hirsch says, ah, no way. Yitzhak and Rivka, Vayahav, he loved her, right? The simple read is that they had a loving relationship, as we spoke about last week. The very first couple in the Torah that speaks of a loving relationship is the relationship between Yitzhak and, es- uh, Yitzhak and Rivka. So suggest Rav Hirsch, all, since the kids were born, every day or all the time, whenever they went out for coffee, whenever Yitzchak and Rivka had a chance to talk, what do they talk about? Of course, they're children. And what do they talk about? Rivka said, honey, I know you love Asa so much, but I want to tell you, I kind of see he's not as great as you think he is, you know? And I know that, that he's, he's, he's great at Kibodav and I know he respects you, but I see some things you don't see, right? I see him doing a lot of different things um, that, that aren't so great. And he says, Yitzchak... Yitzchak, you're actually being manipulated in some way by Esav. And, and this is not a proof, but if we go back all the way to the beginning of the narrative, again, remember that they, we were introduced to the notion of Yitzchak's blindness, I argued, a little bit prematurely. Really, we should be told he's blind in the context of the deception. Again, I wouldn't say this as, as a compelling proof, but it's interesting we're, when right before we're told that Yaakov, y- excuse me, that Yitzchak is going to bless Asaph, what are we told? He's, we're told that he's blind. Blindness, as we know in the English language as well, is not limited to not being able to see with one's eyes, but it also means unable to see clearly with one's mind's eyes. And therefore, there is a double meaning over here. Yitzchak is getting old, and his ability to see things clearly is diminished, physically, but also intellectually. And Rivka is arguing Esav has grown, grown older and he's not doing good things. The people he's married with, the people, according to our Midrashim, who he's not married with, who he's with, the, and, and again, the Midrashim paints quite a negative picture of who he is. And the truth is the Torah tells us this explicitly. The Torah tells us why does Yitzchak really love Esav? Not because of his great character. Kitzayed b'fiv. What does that mean? It says that he loved Esav because he ate his delicacies, right? It seems like he was bribed on some level, right? In other words, Esav took good care of him. He fed him all the time. And there was a certain deception, right? Um, and so let's go back to our story now. Yitz, the story begins where Yaakov is there and Yitzchak is uncertain. And yet he goes through with the blessings and... Ultimately, at the end, what happens? He realizes what happened, but he, it's not just that he... Real, what, what does he ultimately realize at the end of this narrative? Or maybe let's take it back. What is Rivka trying to do? One of the questions we asked. Why does Rivka just say again, Yitzchak, you're crazy, don't do this? Well, number one, she's always tried. But number two, more importantly, she's trying to make a point. Rav Hirsch suggests it is a Purim costume. It is a, and by that I mean just like a lousy costume. It's not meant to really fully deceive. It's meant to be something where in retrospect, Yitzchak looks back and says, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just fell for that. And what that's supposed to do, right? Remember those moments in our lives when we realize we've been thinking about X wrong and we say, wait a second, maybe it's not just X that I've been thinking wrong about. Maybe I've been thinking about A, B, C, D, E, F, G wrong as well, right? Those moments where we're like, oh my gosh, like you, you completely misread a person and you, you, sell, you doubt your entire judgment of character, right? Uh, maybe, right? maybe we've experienced this, maybe we haven't, but we can understand the notion that Rivka is basically setting Yitzchak up for something which 
could maybe possibly barely pass, but she knows that that's exactly what she's trying to do. She's trying to set something up which is indeed farcical, something which shouldn't work, but does, so that Yitzchak wakes up and says, oh my, I have just fell for the stupidest thing in the world. I realize now that it wasn't just here that I have had bad judgments, right? As, as, and, and Bruce, to your point, even in the story itself, we see the bad judgments. He's constantly guessing and still, even though he's not sure, he still continues going forward. What that speaks to is poor judgment. How could he go ahead and do so if he's so uncertain? This whole entire narrative is set, it's a setup on Rivka's part in order to, de- it's not about stealing the blessings. Maybe you have to, maybe you don't. The purpose of the story, more importantly, is a cautionary tale about being too trusting in our judgment. And of our great ones, Yitzhak is an Av at the end of the day. He's a patriarch. He's someone we respect, someone we invoke. But ultimately, we recognize through this narrative that even great people like Yitzhak, and certainly people like ourselves, have the ability to be blinded. Maybe he was blinded by love. He loved his son. Maybe he was blinded by the gifts that he received in return. But the purpose of the narrative is not so much to tell us, oh, and now Yaakov is the winner. He walks away with those blessings. It's really a a story of rebuke to all of us, the recognition of how easily it is for us to allow ourselves to be deceived. Rivka was trying to impress that upon Yitzchak. Gam Baruch he also should be blessed. He, she was successful in conveying that point. It's a different, well, hold that thought for one second. I just want to acknowledge it's a different idea. Uh, it, it's, I think it's very different, but to me, it, it addresses some of the comical elements of the story. Rehersh is saying, yes, precisely. It's meant to be comical. It's meant to make no sense because that's exactly what Rivka is trying to convey. Goat hair, you know, she, whatever, hair of an animal, hair of a person, no way. That's exactly the point. The other commentators are left addressing, you know, how Rif, Yitzchak could have been so foolish. And what Rivka was, forget Yitzchak, what was Rivka even thinking? How did she think that he would fall for it? According to her first, that's exactly the point. She knew that this was funny, that this was strange, and it was a way of conveying that Yitzchak, your eyes are dimmed, not just physically, but also intellectually. Yes, Shmuel. Well, is that why the Torah, because the word for blind is not what the Torah uses here. The Torah does not refer to him as blind. I mean, a summa is, a, is blind. Later on, here it doesn't use the term, I don't believe, I don't have the, the in front of me, that it just says that his eyes were uh, dimmed. Diminished. Dimmed. Chaos. Right. So That's that right. Doesn't necessarily mean blind. It just means he's not seeing correctly. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So I'll tell you the truth. Um, it's an interesting point that it doesn't use blindness, and that could just be because he's not actually fully blind. It's that he has a diminished eye eyesight. Um, because the truth is, in in the Torah later on, um, we speak about yaver as ene. When we speak about blindness of the mind. We do use the term blindness. Iver is a term that's used not just for physical blindness, but also for a corruption of judgment through bribery. Okay, whatever the end of the pasuk is, right? But but the point is that we're talking about money over there um, causing a person to lose their their judgments. Excuse me for one second. Just put a pass in your mouth, okay? Try again. Just try again. I'll be done in a sec. It's okay. Okay. Thank you. So other questions? Why doesn't during the whole story? We asked in the beginning if Rifko and, and Yitzhak spoke to each other, and we established that they do. So when this whole story is happening with the bracha, even if, Yach, even if Yitzhak is blind, at some point in time, like, ask your wife who's in the room. Ask someone else who's here with me if he was so unsure who was there, then just bring in a third party. Right. Unless Rifko wasn't conveniently not around, right? Rifko's hiding, and hey, Rifko, are you there? No answer, right? He doesn't know the difference, right? Um... Rivka could have made herself disappear, I, I guess. I want to just add one point, a completely tangential point, but I think it's, a, it's a, an important second message, right? So the first message, again, and especially according to this approach of Hirsch, it's not so much about stealing the brachos, it's about opening our eyes to our own blindness, as we see that through Yitzchak. But there's another point, and that is that there is a medrash that does state, I'm going to move away from the text over here, but I think it's just such a powerful point, that many assume that what Yaakov did was completely justified, again, According to, as Bruce pointed out, and many assume, the purchase of the firstborn that took place in the beginning of the Parsha is connected to this. And really, Yaakov did deserve these blessings. And even if, forget the purchase of the firstborn, we know that Esau really wasn't deserving of these blessings, presumably, at least most assume. And really, Rivka was was correct. That's, that's, That's the approach that virtually our entire tradition takes. Nonetheless, there is a medrash that states that when Yaakov hears, when Esav hears what happened, we didn't read this verse, what does Esav do? He lets out a roar, he yells, 
And the matter says that from that roar, um, Rome was established, and this eventually went. And that's another way of saying that the enemies of the Jews were established from this moment, and that brought up, you know, ultimately Rome is what destroyed, you know, the Romans destroyed the Second Temple, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That that yell, that feeling of anguish, that feeling of being robbed, had brought about all these terrible consequences. So you it could says say the that, same thing. It says the same thing at, by Mordechai. Mordechai also gave out a great cry. Yes. Yes. That same wording. Yes. Interesting. 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 Yes. Interesting. Okay. Food for thought. Interesting. Yes. Um, so you could say this, this Medrash is basically arguing with those who suggest that, that Yaakov is justified. Could be. But others argue. Others argue. And I, I want to say that maybe Professor Nechama Leibowitz says this, uh, but I don't remember where I saw this, but I think it's such a beautiful point. And that is that, um, yes, Yaakov is justified. Rivka is justified. Ultimately, what they did is right. You know, the, the, the terrible phrase we say that no good deed goes unpunished. Um, you know, it's a terrible thing to say, but there's some truth to that. Not, not in the way it's typically understood, but in the sense that every decision we make is not black and white. It's not like this is the right thing to do and that is the wrong thing to do. No, sometimes when we do the right thing, there's collateral damage. It's still the right thing to do. You can't make everyone happy in every decision. And sometimes there are going to be terrible ramifications. But the stakes were high over here. Yaakov and Rivka had to do something devious, had to do something which wasn't right, which was very hurtful to Esav. It was the right thing to do. But you can't, therefore, but it also included in the right choices, sometimes that negativity, sometimes is an element of evil as well. It doesn't mean it's wrong, right? We have to, sometimes we, we, get, we think we're going to find the perfect solutions or the perfect decisions. We can't. Yes, Yaakov is justified in what he did, Rivka is justified, but there is a consequence which cannot be escaped. And I think that's just such a beautiful and powerful idea to, to keep in mind as we make moral decisions all the time and we recognize that when we're faced with two decisions, you know, sometimes it's very easy to just do nothing because even our good choices have negative consequences sometimes. But yeah, but that's part of life, that even when we make the right decisions, the moral decisions, the appropriate decisions, there are sometimes going to be negative consequences, a sign of uh, the ability to go forward despite that is appropriate. And perhaps that is another idea that we could take away from this as well. That yes, Yaakov did the right thing, but he hurt someone in the process. And because of that, there's going to be an impact. So I guess our two takeaways, the major takeaway I think is Rehersh's approach, the ability to recognize our own self-deception and the farcical elements of the story are deliberate. But I think this Medrash to me is just, I would be remiss if I wouldn't share it. I'll take your point, Lisa, in one second. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't share it because I just think it's such an important idea to recognize that we are rarely, if ever, making a choice between right and wrong, even in our wrong decisions, by the way, I have to emphasize, there's always something right as well. That's how we justify our poor decisions and why we do things that are bad. There's always some good as well. When I do so something, I could sin with some justifications, but it still could be wrong and I could do something good with some negative elements and, and that complexity is painted in the story as well. Yes, Lisa. So I have a little bit of trouble with just saying 